I started last week by suggesting that the talk I was about to preach was perhaps one I didn't want to prepare, didn't want to preach, and you might not, not like to hear. Got a sneaking suspicion that might happen again this week. And what's slightly worrying is I think it might happen again next week too. <laughs> so I'm going to invite you in these moments before we get into this, just to take a moment to prepare your heart for what God might speak to you in these next few moments. Father, we ask in your love and your grace and your mercy that in these moments this morning you would meet us where we are, but you would graciously and gently draw us closer to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the world's a cookie jar and everyone a crumb. I just happen to be a chocolate chip. I think, although I'm not entirely sure, and I did try to look it up, but I couldn't find out, that that was Garfield who said that. It was? Jolly good, I remembered that rightly. Winston Churchill put it this way. We are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glowworm. <laughs> a multi-millionaire called Nicholas Van Hoogstraten started building a house for himself near Uckfield. He calls it Hamilton House. He began building it in 1985, and by 2006 had spent somewhere in the region of £40 million on his house. The unfinished house has a copper dome and is larger than Buckingham Palace. He has built into it his own mausoleum to remember himself. Now, apparently, if I've understood this correctly, under English law... Perpetual trusts are only allowed in the upkeep of monuments and graves. In other words, you can't knock it down. Could this be his bid to be remembered in perpetuity? King Nebuchadnezzar walked on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and surveyed his kingdom. He came to this conclusion. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residency? by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Turns out he was wrong, very wrong. And it almost cost him his kingdom. And you can go and read that story in the book of Daniel. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world is, of course, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Monuments like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon had everyone in awe and were meant to last forever. The other wonders of the ancient world, I confess I had to look this up, the temple of Artemis at Ephesus, the statue of Zeus at Olympus, the mausoleum at a name I can't say, but it's something like Halicarnassus, the Colossus at Rhodes, the lighthouse at Alexandria. In their day, they were awesome. Today, they are all gone. You can't go and see a single one of them. Truth is, kingdoms come and go, and even great monuments don't last. 
The man who declared himself to be the greatest thing that ever lived died on the 3rd of June 2016. Muhammad Ali. Samson, it turns out, also seemed to think he was the greatest. Judges chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now you all might have figured out I'm reading lots of text. Do you know why I'm doing it? Just in case you're not. Chapter 15, verse 1. Later on, at, that, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. We talked about that, didn't we? Box of chocolates, but also a present for a prostitute. Not a good thing to do. Guys, remember that. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let her go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timnite, so Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. It's like something out of EastEnders, isn't it? <laughs> Not that I watch EastEnders, sorry. Huh? So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. It's not getting better, is it? Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do, him, do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave and the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God up and opened up a hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he was revived. So the spring was called En-Hakore, and is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Samson and the Philistines just want to get even. That is not a good way to live. And here it leads from one disaster to another. The Israelites, in their comfortably numb state, 
decide that the best thing to do is to hand Samson over to the Philistines and be done with him. Somewhat bizarrely, Samson allows himself to be tied up with rope by the Israelites and handed to his enemies on the promise that the Israelites won't kill him themselves. Don't you think that is weird? Okay, you can tie me up and hand me over, just don't kill me yourselves. But the excited shouts of the Philistines as they come to get him seemed again to cause Samson to be stirred by God's Holy Spirit. The ropes fall easily from Samson and suddenly, endowed with immense strength, he took the path of vengeance once again. I don't know how you responded when I was reading that text, but what happens is as frightening and unsavory as it is extraordinary, don't you think? Doesn't it touch your sensibility somewhere? You shouldn't read that kind of thing in the Bible, should you? Really? To be honest? This part of the story is violent and ugly and quite humanly impossible. Do you think about it? Do you, do you hear what was read? We have already prob all probably seen films or read books where one man or one woman is able to defeat enemies who outnumber them. The first one that comes to my mind is James Bond. He always wins, doesn't he? And we always know he's going to win. It's just a case of how he's going to do it. Mostly, though, we watch thinking, that would never happen. But we are able to suspend belief because we know we are, in fact, watching a film or reading a book, and that's what happens in films and books. But no film... And no book would have one man or one woman fighting in hand-to-hand -hand combat at the same time, 1,000 enemies. Think about it. 1,000 hand-to-hand at the same time. That would be simply ridiculous. No one, however good they were and however highly trained in, in the art of killing, could defeat 1,000 enemies at, a t at the same time. They would, in truth, be simply overwhelmed, wouldn't they? And that's what happens in Bug's Life. Do you remember we went to Bug's Life? That's the moment when Hopper tells the, the grasshoppers that if the ants ever figure out that they outnumber them 30 to 1 or whatever it is, they're done for. Because they'll just be overwhelmed. What Samson did was humanly impossible. So the next bit is slightly unsettling, don't you think? Have you figured it out? Because the truth here appears to be that something supernatural is going on here. Which means God is involved. Does that not worry you? Maybe not. You notice too that the text tells us that Samson used the jawbone of a donkey. By doing that he would be again technically breaking his Nazarite vow because he's not allowed to touch anything dead. It's all a bit challenging, isn't it? 
Samson breaks his vow again and God seems to be involved in his victory. This is nothing like what we think of when we think of being a Christian, is it? At least I'm hoping it isn't. <laughs> but then, this is a bit of a tangent. You've got to take that and weigh that. Although, of course, technically Samson wasn't a Christian anyway, right? Because he's in the Old Testament, right? But you get the point. And perhaps to make it even worse, the Christians in this story, who in this case are come in the form of 3,000 men from Judah, right, that's the tribe of Israel, simply stood by and watched the slaughter unfold. And absolutely no comment is made in the text about the fact they did nothing. Doesn't that haunt you? It's like nothing is said about Rahab lying or the spies going to prostitutes. The text makes no comment about that. It makes no comment about the fact that 3,000 men from Judah stood by and watched the slaughter and did nothing. You'd have thought at least they'd have gone to help Samson defeat the Philistines, wouldn't you? But they apparently make no move at all. Our Christian sensibilities probably persuade us to think that maybe they should have stopped the slaughter at least. Samson fought quite alone. That, of course, is not true. But it is what Samson appears to believe about what happened. He thinks he's the greatest. Chapter 15, verse 16, Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. That's quite a clever little poem, actually, isn't it? Samson takes all the credit. I am the greatest. He even names the hill after his victory because Ramath-Lehi literally means jawbone hill. With a donkey's jawbone, I've slain a thousand men, so I'm going to name this hill after my victory. From now on, it'll be called jawbone hill. God never men- uh, Samson never mentions God. Actually, what he's done is made a monument to himself. So maybe the question is, how do you live? When we live to make our mark, to impress others with our words or our deeds, to impress others with our gifts or our talents, Maybe, without realizing it, we find ourselves in the story of Samson. When we feel like we're on a stage and we spend our time performing, when we become bitter and envious because we are not noticed, when we find ourselves doing things simply to prove that we can, when we take credit for what in truth God has done, then perhaps we find ourselves living in the story of Samson. 
and we live to build something to ourselves. And here's, I think, a challenging thought. Perhaps, too, we build something to ourselves when we form relationships on the basis of our being able to minister to others while believing others can do little for us. When we build relationships on the basis of our being able to minister to others while believing others can do little for us. That's that phrase in there, it's more blessed to give than to receive, but it's a whole lot harder to receive than to give. In the end, this is about pride. Samson really thought he was something. And it even comes out in his prayer. Now I know that never happens in a church like this. He's thirsty after his victory, so he cries out to God, demanding a drink. What's interesting here is in his prayer, he doesn't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. Are you going to let me die at the hands of the Philistines? But he was quite happy to marry a Philistine. And a bit later on, he'll quite happily go and visit a Philistine prostitute. And maybe at the end of the story, he'll hook up with another Philistine woman who will turn out to be his downfall. Although there is some question about who Delilah actually was. And shockingly, God seems to continue to bless Samson. Doesn't it make you want to do that? God gives him a drink. What appears fascinating here is that by calling himself the servant of the Lord in his prayer, Samson likens himself to Moses. Moses was called the most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth. Samson on Jawbone Hill, look what I've done, look what I've done, but I am the servant of the Lord. Slight incongruence there. But it appears that God responds to him as he responded to Moses. Do you remember that bit where Moses knocks the rock and out comes the water? Same thing happens here. Samson on Jawbone Hill, naming it after himself, being given a drink by the power of God. Samson crying out in prayer, and even when it's solely about himself, experiencing the miracle of answered prayer. And all the while, Samson takes pride in himself. It's really extraordinary, isn't it? My, my guess, like looking at your faces now, right, is that you have no idea what to do with this, do you? <laughs> Standing on another hill, 
Another man whose mother was visited by an angel and who was set apart before his birth, one who too would give up his life so that others would be saved, taught a very different way of living. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught that there is a much better way to follow God and live significantly. As he talks about giving and praying and fasting, he teaches that what is really important is to live before an audience of one. When we live before an audience of one, we live in the far bigger and the far better story of God's gracious love. Do you know what haunts me about this story of Samson is that as I prepare this, I so often find myself living in this story. When in truth, I am not called or invited to follow Samson. It's much, much better than that. I am called and invited to follow the other man on the other hill. I am called to follow Jesus. When I walk his way and live his story, I live with no delusions of grandeur, but I live as one who says, sorry, who says of me, I am especially fond of this one. And I live in the truth of the far bigger and the far, far better story of the kingdom of the heavens. And maybe when we live in the far bigger and far better story of the other man on the other hill, it begins to look a bit more like this. You know, when we met, I began to discover a new vulnerability, a warmth and lack of presence that impressed me. I saw in you a thriving spirit, no sign of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person, and I liked that. I saw you had strong self-esteem, not based on the fluff of self-help books, but on something a whole lot deeper. I saw that you lived by conviction and priority, not just by convenience, selfish pleasure, and financial gain. And I had never met anyone like that before. I felt a depth of love and concern as you listened to me and didn't judge me. You tried to understand me. You sympathized and you celebrated with me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity, and not just to me, but to other people as well. And you stood for something. You were willing to go against the grain of society and follow what you believed to be true, no matter what people said and no matter how much it cost you. And for those reasons, and a whole host of others, I found myself really wanting what you had. Now that I've become a Christian, I wanted to write to tell you I am grateful beyond words for how you lived out your Christian life in front of me. Friends, live significantly, not with delusions of grandeur, 
but in the far bigger and far better story where there is an audience of one. Amen.